Don't talk to me about so many tabs. Shut up. If that's Hank when she Green... shares her screen with me. That's the first thing I say. I'm like, oh my god, that's so stressful. Uh, look, if Hank Green like... can do it, I so can I. <laughs> it looks like our mother's computer. Shut up, Tara. <laughs> that's not fair. It's all right. My phone looks like that. I can't talk. There you go. I have okay. all kinds of crap. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Artless Podcast, where we make art accessible. I'm Seema. And I'm Sophie. If you'd like to support the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. We also have a Patreon for a dollar a month. You can go into our monthly raffle to win a studio visit with us, where we'll talk to you about your art, give you feedback, and some references to explore. And we love interacting with people. So if you do your Patreon, we will definitely, if you like us and would like to talk to us more, do Patreon one because we'll definitely interact with you. Um, And you can forcibly work your way into a community with us. You can pay your way. Oh, no. No, we won't. We won't hurt you. We'll be nice. Um, Hmm. So, but we have another person today. We have a guest. We have an extra extra special guest it's my sister hello <laughs> so this is laura laura is my elder sister yes i'm elderly yeah we just we were actually just watching tiktoks of two old sisters <laughs> we were like that's gonna be us yeah for real. um so laura tell us a little bit about yourself well i am here visiting sophie in the states at the moment from australia where mm-hmm. um i live and work and play <laughs> Such a dog. I am. Just relax. You do everything in Australia. Laura really is kind of a renaissance woman. Yeah. You're an artist. I am an artist. Um, I'm also a big nerd. I work in public policy. Uh, I'm also a lawyer Mm -hmm. and uh, worked for about five years as a refugee lawyer. Um, And yeah, I love art and all things art. Cool. What do you do in public policy? I provide advice to the Victorian government on criminal justice policy. Right on. What's the biggest city in Victoria? Melbourne. Yes. Melbourne. I know that. <laughs> As Americans, some of us the, know that. <laughs> I know that thanks to Sophie. Though I was saying, uh, Sophie, you you know, like Sophie tells us me stories about Australia and often funny stories about animals. And my daughter um, recently was telling, I heard her telling someone else, my mom's friend Sophie m- stories about animals makes me never want to go to Australia. (laughs) I've said it before and I'll say it again. Australia is really fucking bizarre in that like, you know, white Australia is like, no one understands where we come from. And then any opportunity we get, we fucking lie. (laughs) No wonder no one knows what Australia is like. We lie. It's a big cultural joke to lie. You were talking about that joke. It's like, I think you're just like, you know, what is the uh, saying? Um, Fish tales, you know, like where we tell like stories about the big fish. I do Mm -hmm. feel like sometimes when you tell things, I'm like, is that true? (laughs) (laughs) Or is that like, you're just keeping me away? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't want to keep you away. You should definitely visit. It's beautiful. (laughs) There are like heaps of deadly things that will kill you. It's true. (laughs) There are bird eating spiders. But yeah. we have it here too. I was uh, I work with a woman who's from who lives in Miami, and um, she was just talking about like kayaking and you know like and I was telling her that when I was really little and I don't know how old I was I was definitely like under kindergarten maybe I was like four or five like maybe pre K we went with my parents to they were they had to go to a conference where Miami went to the Everglades and I vividly remember seeing a snake in the trees <laughs> and being like oh I will never live in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> like have a very strong memory and then they said the, and I remember the woman saying the Everglades um, is a great place because they have both alligators and crocodiles and I was like I'm out a definition Hard of pass. great place is, is very different Hard pass. I'm out. <laughs> you two can get eaten when you walk down the street that's right, that's right. Um. so have you guys been able to see art we went to oh man, i can't wait to talk to you about this, this is gonna oh, be great uh-huh. we went to uh two design museums last week mm. uh so we went to the museum of, like, museum of design, design. mocad right mocad yeah yeah like in columbus circle <laughs> yeah yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> i just live here <laughs> um <laughs> 
so we went there and it was uh and we went with my friend gene from art mm -hmm. school you know my, my we have to we have to mention him every episode <laughs> <laughs> he like pays us <laughs> GeneTolan.com. Uh, <laughs> so uh we went there and we went to the smithsonian design museum uh, up up the way we for, yeah we went for a, a big walk um Wait, you walked from the mo from Mocad to the Cooper Hewitt? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, we're just like we're Australians, no? Yeah, yeah, I love it. it. Do yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I would have taken a subway or a bus, but that's cool. So whenever I tell people, like, I remember I walked from Soho to Dumbo, which is like a huge walk. Right? That's like an yeah, it's like an hour. I, I have once walked a very very long way once. Like I was like I'm doing this, but I'm like really. I had to force myself. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I had just come from lockdown in Australia and uh, I was like, oh, freedom. Uh, so I just was like, I'm going to walk everywhere because I can fucking walk everywhere. Um, so I remember when I, I kind of turned up to the event that I was at, I was at um, Photoville and a bunch of people were like, you walked here? You walked here? <laughs> it was really you know, It is actually, if you think about it, it is walk. I mean, there's so many walkable places. I just take I out know. my MTA card. I'm just like, I'm so. It's just, it seems to be. It's cultural. It is. Uh, yeah, I was about to say. But so we were, we were kind of uh, fascinated by, uh, and you're going to love this, the didactic wall panels at the. Uh... Somebody, somebody, nobody has ever said to me, I'm fascinated by the <laughs> My so, career has finally been for something. <laughs> exactly, this podcast. So uh, 25 years just for where we are right now. Um, so at MoCAD, we were kind of like, huh. Yeah, I've read, I took pictures. I like, I wonder if I still have them. There was a show when I was there last year where I was like, huh, who, do you, who are you writing for? <laughs> no, really. And it was really funny how like the typeface was different and designy and jeans made it major criticism he was like i'm at a bfa grad show i will say people have no idea how powerful uh, museum designers are and they can be yeah. such the problem for me is they dig their heels in and their only reason is because it has to look a certain way they mm. are also the people if you ever have a complaint about the cuckoo seating you have in museums it's probably the designer it could be the director. Mm. Directors often also um, have an issue with seating. They don't want it to look. They want it to look a certain way. Usually, they, you so know, they're ableist, to... is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I think like I've worked with great designers who are yeah. not actually able. The funny thing is, like I wouldn't say that I've worked with really great human beings who are designers, and I will say that the designers in museums are very human. They're very interested in humans. What they have is their training doesn't help them, doesn't enable them to do it in a way that is not ableist. It just made me think of those videos. The design is very human. <laughs> I don't know those. Really? No. Whoa. Okay. That's like in the Neo Dada realm that we just released in one of our last episodes. It's like, oh, I have to look. I send you this bullshit, mm. Laura. Remember how it's, I think he's like Chinese and he makes all these like really weird machines that like, like a toilet that when you flush it, it like brings up knives and chops up the poo. <laughs> it's fucked. So like everything is like kind of a bit weird and wild and kind yeah. of like torture chambery. Yeah. And like, it's always just like, and the design is very human. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, so for example, you know, I, so the one that I saw at Moquette, I can't remember what the show was. Mm. I feel like it was 80s posters i think it was like 80s music posters or something something that like you didn't need but like the designer's goal is so part of the thing i think that's really hard is that museum designers are supposed to come up with ways to sink back so the art comes to the forefront right totally. which or that it it somehow incorporates with it so they go with design like font that matches the style like 80s you know mm -hmm. and so it looks good but they don't think about how um, and they want to brand all these exhibitions because you'd pay for every exhibition. So you'd brand right. every exhibition. Yeah. And so then what ends up happening is that you often decrease the understandable legibility, the the fact that even it's didactics, right? You have to learn which is the didactics. You know, I saw mm -hmm. one of the shows that I thought had the absolute most challenging uh, to read labels was a show about queer fashion. I don't remember what it was called. Museum of, of Fine Art in Boston. 
That it was a good so show, actually. The show was really good. Um, the works, it was fashion, it was beautifully done. But then mm. the labels were like backlit. <laughs> they were oh, like, and I was, it was a room was really dark. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do we want everyone to fall? Like, do we want? It's like this <laughs> some sort of like, you know, like where you go into those rooms that are dark so you can understand what it's like to be blind, supposedly. It was like that. Mm. I was like, we none of us can read in here, I guess. <laughs> do you want do you think maybe that was the point or was it just someone's really really stupid idea it was really a stupid idea i'm positive it was a stupid idea because i think what they were trying this is what i'm positive it was not that because it it wouldn't the show wasn't like (laughs) the show wasn't about like um blindness it would have been really Mm, like mm. i think that what they do i think cool idea is exactly what is underlying a lot of museum design when they do labels they're like it's a cool idea we or really they're trying that, to like brand it. Yeah. They're trying to sell it. They're yeah. you know, and and I don't think they mean to be ableist. I just think that they come out of a training, and like every museum yeah. designer I've ever met is really excited about getting people to do it. They just don't know. Like it's like there's like a disconnect. Totally. And that's the thing totally. with the seating. Like I look at um that there's a wonderful person. Is it Carmen? Is her first name Miranda? She's a writer for the LA Times. Mm-hmm. She's the arts writer. And she posted on Twitter pictures of terrible museum seats. <laughs> she did our, like a newsletter. I think she also put in an article great. about like rating museum seats. Mm. And I was looking at her thing and I was thinking, oh my God, I totally have been in that meeting where they decided on it. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they put that one because like, you know, the round one, they, they only do that in places where that would work. So it'd be like in the 19th century galleries, mm-hmm. this cushy br- br- round one. I have absolutely, you know, bought seats. I have bought some of the most uncomfortable, most <laughs> ableist, <laughs> like beautiful seats from Noel. I have bought some like gorgeous seats from Cartel. Like, mm-hmm. I bought some. Terrible museum seating over the years. Like if you were were uncomfortable at many museums in Northeast Ohio, I am sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was it's part of that. It's, it's all, not all, all, not all, not all. <laughs> I was part of a group of people. But we, because our our um, our charge is to make it so that it is does not um, take away from the art. Mm-hmm. When our charge mm-hmm. should be that it makes it better to look at the art, that yeah. it makes it more comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Spot on. Spot on. But I think that's, yeah, I mean, I, I th- you know, I'm part of the problem, I guess. Um, but was the show good? I mean, no. I, I don't know. No, no, it wasn't bad. Wasn't what it? about Cooper Hewitt? Did you see something good? Um, Cooper Hewitt was definitely, I would say, more like what I expected from the realm of design rather than like uh-huh. a, a pop art clay sculptural exhibition, uh, which is what we saw at MoCAD. But the Smithsonian had like, I would say stuff that was more in line with what you do. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Like it was kind of looking at the intersection between politics and design and, and uh, um, I guess how to like make the world more equitable. Yeah, through design. Yeah. yeah. So it was all about like like physical architecture, but also like, you know, the design of protest movements and mm. city streets and things like that mm-hmm. that really, you know, impact you know, equality and people. movement through yeah. space. Yeah. yeah, I think they do a great job with their shows. Oh, I really wanted. I, I actually contacted their um, PR department. I really want to look at. The, I wanted to um, do a video about the W.E.B. Du Bois show. Oh yeah, mm. we saw that one at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really interesting that one. Mm. Oh, had, designing um... through peace. That sounds good. Was that yeah. good? Yeah, it yeah, was. It was good. It was. I had um, the big like giant boat sculpture right yeah yeah and the and the uh seesaw fence from the u.s mexico border wall as well they had one of the seesaw installations you couldn't sit on it though you couldn't couldn't play which i thought was like a real oversight (laughs) Hmm. you know what that's i'm sure it's collection care right it's too bad that they didn't make one that you could sit in of course like the problem with interactive spaces in museums is they're not it's like it would be probably like at Disney if there was something you can't touch. You know what I mean? They're just not, we're like not equipped to handle things. It always mm-hmm. is like a chaos. If something has can be touched, it's like, it's like breaking the rules. And then it also makes people touch all the things they weren't supposed to touch. Like mm-hmm. it really confuses all, all hell out. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, so the art I saw this week. Yeah, I was about to say, what did you see this week? That I want to talk about was, um, I did, it was this AI photograph. 
Did you see this about Sony? Oh my god, I saw that uh, this morning. No, I did not. So, um, Sony World Photography Competition had a. I don't know. Hold on. Let me get back to it. Um, g gave the award to this photograph without my head on it. Um, and really, I thought you were a part of it. <laughs> well, you know, AI. I could have been. And um, it's a German photographer, and he. It's called the Electrician. It was made in AI, and it was mm. in there like. It was, you know, in the sec, you know how they have like, you know how competitions will have different categories. So it was the category that could be any experimental media. Okay. And so it was AI, but he didn't like they, it was kind of confusing the way they said it. Like, did he disclose it was AI or didn't he? Mm. But they, they said that they thought it opened up an interesting conversation. They gave him the prize. He pulled out. So, really? um, yeah, but he just wanted the conversation and I, the reason I bring it up is because I thought it was the first time I've seen something made in AI that I actually thought was visually compelling. I was like, oh, that looks like something I would save on a Pinterest board. Yeah, it like, and you know what? They look very gay. <laughs> they do. Mm -hmm. But they also, there's like a weird thing happening with the hands. Yeah. So there's like hands at the front. And you're like, whose hands are those? Have you... Have you seen the pictures of AI trying to render people eating spaghetti? Yes. Oh, no. I oh, want to oh, my, okay, oh, my God. Laura. Okay. So, yeah, let's do it. AI people. How do I say the name of the person who runs hyperallergic? Is it her grav? Grav? I'm not H -G -R -A -V. sure. He's been doing so. amazing AI, hilarious AI things on his Twitter. Okay. Really? Yeah, he has like very funny ones. Let me see if I can find some of them. Like Easter Bunny buying smack. Oh. Easter Bunny selling smack. <laughs> also, let's figure out how to say his name. <laughs> uh, we should. So, oh my god, there seems to be like a weird kind of realm of AI, like people eating spaghetti and yeah. their faces are really wild. And I saw a comment on TikTok where someone was like, do you think it's because there are so many images of like babies eating spaghetti and laughing and like screaming? Oh, maybe. And then the machine is just like, this is whatever it looks like eating spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> so weird, right? I love it. Bizarre. I actually have a post of AI stuff that I made through Midjourney that I have never uploaded because I don't want anyone to steal my idea. <laughs> I know. That's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I love that AI art stuff. Like, it's not, I mean, you could have a whole discussion about whether it's art, but I just love the idea of people en masse being able to create something instantly for themselves that they wouldn't yeah. be able to create otherwise yeah it's awesome yeah. i do think that's true i think it harnesses that's what i was thinking about i was like it really harnesses creativity i did think about the one that i was thinking about is though i wonder if i responded to it because it's the first time i've seen an ai that felt felt like it was falling into old categories i understood mm -hmm. it, yeah it follows a language that you're yeah understand. a language because like, i do I, think like that the ones that types yeah the ones that you're you know like like it, i guess it's Rog is according to pronunciation guide for um, hyperallergic. What I think is really interesting about great job. Um, let's hope uh, maybe someday he'll hear this podcast and he could call us and tell us how to say. It. Um, <laughs> I do like to say. It. I don't know, man. I think if I finally like get my shit together and get some videos up on TikTok, why I'm actually gonna start getting some coverage. Yeah, I do. Um, but um, <laughs> but um, I do like to say people's names. Correctly. Yeah, of course. But I think that you know what Laura said is true. That that it's to me interesting that that's what hit like something that's an arty one but i think that um the ones that people are just trying things out are fascinating like he just spent like around that's easter so cool. the easter weekend he was just tweeting like easter buddy does that easter buddy does. and they were actually <laughs> so like weird. i don't, I don't know if i would say that they are i don't know what they are i'm not like gonna play i don't want to get into that but i found them so funny and interesting and if yeah. like that's a yeah. essence of visual communication they were doing it yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at, right? It's I'm I'm interested in the ways that visual communication is shifting and is growing and expanding and becoming more accessible. Yes, right. It's, it's it's accessibility. I'm trying to see if I can find one. Yeah, and 
I do wonder if that's one of the reasons that the yes, fine art contemporary art I world totally is like do. up in arms. Yeah. You know, because they're like, oh, anyone can have the ability to render a concept now. It's like, yeah, and that's a good thing. Like Easter Bunny hooked. <laughs> they're trying to shake people down. Oh that's God. amazing. <laughs> they're so funny. Oh I think it's just Easter Bunny like, selling marijuana. I, I just, sorry, Laura. It had to be seen. It had to be seen. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. But I just love the, like, the it, it's like it's staring so into this reflection pool. Yeah. Like this immediately yeah. accessible, like endless, endless, mm. infinite yeah. reflection it's like, pool. It's like mirrors society. within mirrors yeah. because AI uses everything it knows about people mm -hmm. to create stuff. And then we use everything we know about, like, how to render like the language that will make it do the yeah. thing that we want to do. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's but, so weird. But also it's there's like an element house. of like letting the computer do it, right? So you don't know what it's going to spit out. And so when it does spit out something that you don't expect or, you know, it uses some kind of reference that you weren't anticipating when you, you know, put it, when you put in your specific inputs and then, and then you just, you, you, you get this picture of, you know, the world that you didn't anticipate and it's mm. just it's just mind it is sort of like it's like the machine the machine is sort of magic mm. right like it's giving so, you it's it's also de the it, there's a it's sort of not unlike tiktok where you have a lack of control <laughs> so little control <laughs> so for a tiktok drama it's like pissing into the wind <laughs> Um, I've definitely, so I've definitely never done that. Australian. Australian. That's a very, I was like, Sorry. I've never said that, nor have I done that. Um, but so to, for this week's um, TikTok drama, I thought we could talk mm. about um, because today we were going to talk to Laura, you know, you know, her job and visual communications and sort of power mm. um, and the way that we mm. communicate about people, refugees, for example. But I thought we would start my TikTok drama for this week was. And I have this happen periodically, and I'm always surprised by it. When I bring up a topic, I did a video about the documentary that Jada Jada Smith, um, I think she produced, um, mm -hmm. where Cleopatra was shown as black. And my video, the summary of my video is one, she wasn't black, she was Macedonian, um, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of black women who you could have done from history instead of Cleopatra. Yeah. To which yeah. I received quite a lot of positive comments that yes, don't blackwash Cleopatra from MAGA people or people who, you know, like mm. that kind of thing. Cause they thought that I was somehow, which I wasn't, I didn't actually care that she was black. I cared that they could have done somebody else from history. Right. But their yeah. take was that I was <laughs> against blackwashing. And yeah, can you believe Anne Boleyn was black? And, you know, I was like, I didn't talk about that. That's not what I mean. <laughs> mm, mm. And I do oh, and man. I do think that um, one of the things to me about TikTok that's a real challenge is that it, um, it people either don't hear you or mishear you. And it basically is always for people a confirmation bias. No, really. Mm. It's, it's it's so polarizing mm -hmm. uh, in that way. And, it and you know, as we've talked about before, the algorithm really does feed, like, misinformation, mm -hmm. stuff where people are being mm -hmm. corrected or, like, body slams. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and remember how I told you how, like, I think one of the most eff effective things to do when putting out, like, an educational or informational content video is to get one fact wrong? Yes! And watch people spiral. and i tested it and it worked it works it and works even when i put it in a correction really, really like works. i didn't even get a fact wrong like i'd say louis the and I, it wasn't that actually i knew like when i record i recorded it and i was like oh shoot i'll just put it in the correction on the video yeah on the captions yeah. and like a little and people yeah. and people go feral to correct you Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's wild it's wild it's wild <sighs> what's that about is it is it because you've got this ability just to like uh, you're wrong. I'm gonna tell you and use my little platform and uh. I don't know. I really don't. I have never really been able to like get to the core of what. I think it has, it has to do with like the anonymity, mm. right? Mm. Surely, but even then, like there are people who say really, really dumb and fucked up stuff with their whole entire chest. <laughs> well, um, I do think 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that to me, it, yes, I think it's the anonymity is part of it. Um, I also think like it's about feeling like I'm better than them. Mm. I got something on you. I have yeah. so many people who are constantly yeah. correcting me. Are they same? Just, is it the same people no. or just like um, no, no, no? It's men yeah. usually though, right? <laughs> it is. It is men. Um, I did have um somebody. Tell me how ugly did we talked about this last week, but I have a lot of uglies people talking about ugly. We had a whole episode of male gays last week. I had that. But usually it's things like you don't realize. Oh, I did one about. um So after the Cleopatra one, somebody said thought I was like against blackwashing. And I was like, I don't believe in blackwashing. I think like putting black like mm. it, it's fictional. It was for me. It was just that I wanted her to use different stories. Right. That was my point. Yeah, but like it's all yeah. fiction in the end. So use any person you want. We don't know what Cleopatra looked like. Um, I mean, we mm-hmm. sort of do, but who knows? And um, so I said, well, you know, like Jesus also didn't look like these images. I don't particularly care. And so I did a video about that. And then mm. somebody posted, it's just because you hate white guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, I don't even know how you got that. Like, I didn't say it was negative or positive. I'm just showing you art history, like the, <laughs> the trajectory of art history of Christian art. Like, <laughs> But also, like, if any, if ever there was a time to just like drag Joe into a TikTok and be like, I hate them I do, so I much. Do. I hate them. They do. <laughs> they do the dishes. <laughs> um, uh, but it's just like so. Make your white man work for That's you. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, we were, uh, we were talking about like what's everyone's favorite holiday recently. And so mm-hmm. around here, it's the volley. And Joe was like, I was outvoted. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah. So what did you have um, TikTok drama this week? I was about to say, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really had TikTok drama this Congrats. week. It was more just me responding to, <laughs> thank you. Well, it's because I've been, I've been like putting my head in the uh. sand a bit in terms of social media because I just wanted to like hang out. Um, and also because we've been overhauling my entire space. Laura has That's a, true. has like a, Another shot. thing that she's for interior design. <laughs> yes, for interior. You're dickhead. I know. Uh, for interior design. Uh, so she's just been making my space like very chaos friendly, <laughs> um, as I am. No, I'm like a chaos tornado machine. coming through a space, uh, <laughs> especially when things don't have like a designated space. But I will say, I did have that dude because I made that video. Um, about like photographic methodology and you know who was like no i don't think a contact print and a relief print are the same thing and i was just like well you're a bit of a tool aren't you like you got to take these restrictions off methodology i was more i was nicer about it i was just like you know so i think i find that happens so often like i remember once (laughs) working with a curator who didn't um believe like somebody some teacher in a lesson plan had said that bronze casting and fossil making are in some ways the same thing, where you have a void that is filled with me- media. And she was like, no, they're absolutely different. Casting. And I was like, oh. It's all printmaking. So what you're saying is that your frame of reference is the one that matters. And this person who's trying to make it accessible doesn't matter. You could say, mm-hmm. like, the, 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 the thing that both of, like, both of those examples, yours and then this woman, um, is that the level of same, right? Like similar, mm. they're sim- maybe we should have said similar, maybe you should have said similar, but like, you know, same, sure. the, like the how same they are, right? So like somehow mm. we're okay with like, we're all, you know, like this is like humans, we're all the same. We say that, right? We're mm-hmm. If we decided to use that metric that guy did, we're not all the same. Exactly. Right? Like, no, then that, that saying is wrong. People are all the same. Nope. Mm. Nope. That saying would be wrong. It's because it's the level mm. of same. I also think there's some kind of, especially in photo, yes. right? There's, it just brings out elitism yes. in people that I don't think other methodologies do. Right. And Printmaking. I don't, too. Printmaking. Like, if you, well, they're, well, well, here I go again. They're one yeah, in the same. Yeah, yeah. Watch me set the it's because, on fire again. <laughs> Fuck sakes. I think it's because the technique. <laughs> For a lot of people, the technique is what they feel like is their art. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, the mastering the it. technique is what may- sets them yeah. apart from someone else. I'm going to look, I'm going to do that thing where I sound a little bit obnoxious. Like, my thing is, like, 
I just worked on like the content that I cared about and the technique just came around yeah. it. Yeah. Like I was, I've said it before, like I had a knack for the process and what I do, but like my focus has never been to master the process. Cause I just, I don't see why that's going to serve like that mentality is going to serve me more than just kind of coming at it with a consistent idea of exploration and play. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something, I don't know, there's just like an elitism Mm -hmm. about, especially Mm -hmm. those like old photographic processes, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, it's so inaccessible. Mm -hmm. It's so hard, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. I'm like, is it? Mm -hmm. I think that's true about some printmaking too. I think that some, I I don't, I, I, I know more probably printmakers than photographers. I don't know, maybe about the same. I but I do think that um some sometimes processes I think you have when you work in a really process based media, you have to choose to be open. Like you have to choose to say that this isn't like I'm not God's gift to lithography, photography or whatever. <laughs> you know, like like I mm-hmm. you have to choose to want to be into it. Like letting other people yeah. in, I should say. Do you think it's also because the process or people's process is like the thing that they think yes. sets them apart yes. from other artists? Like my process is yes. different or I've developed and this And that's why they gatekeep yes. their methodologies. Because totally. they're like, that's, that's, that's everything that I know that makes me special. That's right. Yeah. No, it's process. true. And it's interesting. I did a show, I cured a show years ago now, but about um, techniques and artists who um, have interesting techniques and like showing the tool mm. that the artist used along with the technique. And I was trying to find interesting techniques like um, uh, there's like a photo lithography that only happens in Eastern Europe, in uh, East Berlin. And um, this really, there's this amazing um, lithographer uh, from Cleveland named Rebecca Wilhelm who was part of that show. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I was, she was like, she was like explaining it. We did all, we asked everyone to talk about their process on videos and um, we chose people who were open and she was like, you know, like it's for her, it is not what sets her apart. It's the ideas. And like these yeah. um, lithographs that she did were, they were, she wrote, hand wrote things and then um, printed them with the lithograph. So they're like, handwriting yeah. printed handwriting you know what i'm saying like it's like this yeah. sort of uh, it's into it's an intellectual sort of uh play on media right and yeah. um but i think that that when you think about things like that it's the artist choosing to open up their process right like that is it was very mm. like i can't even quite like she was telling us about this process and i was like Huh, I can't even exactly wrap my mind around it. I can intellect I can hear what you're saying and I like kind of, you know, you know, say that it's a photographic lithographic process, but like I still am like, huh? East Berlin, what? Like, you know, like, and I mm-hmm. think that when the process is harder to describe, it also probably they get into like a kind of a rut, right? Like where they can't explain it. So why explain it? And then, you know, yeah. like there's also that. So get me i'm doing a segue um (laughs) i'm bad at them so the the idea of borders do you think that the way it functions in the art world is reflective and is a direct mirror of how borders function like politically geographically i don't know i mean i think it's maybe not a direct function um i don't know it's a good question what do you think laura you work with borders a lot more than i do yeah um I think about borders all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I know you do. That's why I was like, restrictions and borders, I'm going to bring it up. (laughs) I mean, like, I think a lot of people um, who, you know, don't work in the area or don't, don't think about it a lot, don't, don't think about like, like, what is a border? Mm. Like, a border doesn't actually exist. Like, you know, Australia, you know, somewhere like Australia is a bit different because it's an island. But even then, like, there's no physical demarcation of Mm. of what a border is everything that we have nominated to to be an identifier of a border is something that's completely made up and something that i think about a lot of the time is that a lot of the things that construct a border are 
are, are laws, which are mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. words written on a piece of paper that everybody starts believing. Um, and it's, you know, to, to, to protect and, and to control, you know, resources within a particular area. And, you know, it kind of links to what we were talking about just then. It's all about, you know, protecting and gatekeeping, mm-hmm. you know, your particular little piece of the world mm. um and your land ownership yeah 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 and then creating all these structures around it that then you know reinforce it and protect mm. it even further you really need to read uh ariella azalea <laughs> so i'm i'm trying to get laura to read the civil contract of photography mm. um which is you know kind of the whole idea that citizenship kind of arrived uh, through a lot of visual mm. media and through photography and well, that's where passports came yeah. from, right? Like that whole practice of eugenics yeah. and categorizing people yeah. in the 19th century, it then morphed into like criminaliz- yeah. criminalization and then how people moved through space and how they were identified in space, which then led to the idea of people needing to be marked from a certain place and have a little piece of paper that identifies them so they can go through quote unquote borders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that they t- go through a border. Because I think about like I um, the state of Ohio has an aquatic border with Canada. Right. And you can Mm. sail to Canada and you can sail like, you know, we always you could I've sailed to Canada and um, you uh, you you don't go like uh, you can go across, but you usually go like, you know, closer to the land, but Mm -hmm. um, on a sail ship anyway. But. There's nothing in the middle of the lake. Like it's not, I mean, maybe I don't know. I, I guess I've never noticed anything. But it's just a big old lake, right? Or there's yeah. parts of Canada I've crossed over, um, like very small sit towns where like half of the town is in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, um, as somebody who has always lived sort of on the border of Canada, and even growing up, like when I was a kid, we would go to Canada all the time. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it it definitely feels different. Like I always have thought like when I was, even when I was younger, like you'd pass the border and everything I've always thought of Canada and us as like twins, you know, separated at birth. Kind of and, like New Zealand. You can, cause we can kind of go interchangeably and live interchangeably between Australia oh, and can. New Zealand. We can't yeah. live interchangeably. I wish we could, but, yeah. but it feels, doesn't it feel like must be it like, feels like you're like, Oh, we're sort of like related. Yeah. And you know, yeah. something has changed, but, there's not necessarily like a physical border. I mean, yes, like there's border checkpoints at bigger cities and stuff, but you can just literally go across. Yeah. Am I like going to be like, is is ice going to come in? Actually, the last time we went um, to see my cousin, we told my dad to like clear his phone Mm. because we are brown. Like it makes me nervous every time. No, I get it. I get it. Like I, I would probably be doing the same thing. Not when I was a kid, but now, who knows? But to me, one of the things I think that I was thinking about when we were talking about having Laura on is Mm. the way that we visualize things like borders. Yes. So you were um, at that, you were talking about that artwork from Cooper Hewitt. Mm -hmm. I feel like not everyone knows about that, the swing artwork. I wanted to wait till we talked about the deep thought. The seesaw. Yeah. Tell us about the seesaw. Yeah. Laura, you want to take it away? Yeah, so um, I don't know any of the details about this, but um, there was. Show me to look up the name of the artist. Yeah, that would be really, really helpful. Um, but this wonderful, fantastic, very You're a good sister. <laughs> um, basically, uh, found a point along the um, U.S. Mexico border, and you know how it's like not a, it's not a full, you know, wall. It's like permeable, and you can kind of. It's um, like a, it's like a big. The fence. most useful kind of wall. It has holes in yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> permeable. permeable. Not, so it's not it's permeable not like enough, enough for beams. humans. But, no, um, I know. You can I get, know. <laughs> you can get like this. You know, it's like a picket fence. There's gaps yeah. between the pillars. And this artist put these like pink seesaws made out of steel um, that would thread through the wall, um, and you know you had people from either side coming and you know playing and it was mostly kids and and families and you know usually moms Mm -hmm. and um it kind of totally changed the the vibe and the landscape it turned it into one of play rather than just being um you know this big division in the land Mm -hmm. would you like to say the artist's name oh ronald rael yeah professor of architecture at the university of california berkeley Mm. 
it's you know it's interesting to me about um years ago i did a i was in college i did a dinosaur dig at big Bend national park Fun. i didn't personally i was sorry i didn't head it i was one of the diggers and um we were it was like on the rio grande and so we walked across you can walk across to mexico um mm -hmm. you like walk across and you're in mexico because the river is the thing but there's no mm -hmm. like then there's a cliff so it's not like i'm entering Me but i like you know went swimming and illegally walked into mexico and came back and it was fine mm -hmm. and um you know i don't I have a lot of family and friends in California. And so I have driven to TJ a million times. And, um, you know, the thing ab about it is that the wall, the, that these borders, in some ways, borders function best when people are kind of okay with them being permeable. Mm, I think that's, that's, that's really correct. Um, like you, if you actually look at the movement of people and you actually look at how borders function, they're completely permeable all the time. Like you actually need humans moving across them. You yeah. need goods moving across them. Yeah. Goods and services. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, pe people have always moved around and mm. like, you know, I, I think, you know, borders, borders function because you've got things moving if you didn't if you didn't have things moving then there wouldn't be a border like you actually need the yeah, things the concept moving wouldn't really exist in order to create the, yeah the boundaries that's really of interesting what the border is wait mm. can i say that again that's really true that if things didn't you, move you wouldn't need a boundary yeah mm. or that's like it's 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 the movement of things that actually defines where the border is and it's and it's always done in a negative right you can't so have like, like a force without resistance yeah but yeah. it's like only citizens can come through yeah. this border we, yeah. we have a free trade agreement with this country and that's that's yeah. what can can come through or you know people who hold x citizenship can't come through i think that to me one of the things that you're saying so you're talking about you know moving goods um across borders is that it's also interesting that a lot of that is invisible to most people, mm -hmm. right? The amount of movement of things, we don't usually see it. Like we only see it if like the Suez Canal a boat gets stuck. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think that, you know, for, during COVID, that was something that became really, borders became really visible, not only because we, you know, halted the migration of people, but also because, um, you know, shipping lanes got, you know, um, clogged up and delayed and people, you know, for the first time started under, you know, those, those borders those, started to affect their lives. But, but also mm -hmm. the, the transfer of people and the transfer of goods between borders became this really tangible thing mm. in people's daily life where it hadn't mm -hmm. been before. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In the US, I felt like one, the first time I ever understood that we live in a federal I, I really it was palpable to me that we are not we're in a federal nation and mm. that each state makes different decisions because for example the state of Ohio was really good for a hot minute I don't know I don't know Mike Devine finally you know ate his Wheaties or something and we <laughs> halted our borders but the state of Ohio happens to be hold like two of the main freeways and so mm. all of these goods just froze at New York mm. or you know or at uh, Pennsylvania or vice versa, Indiana, you know, like things were just stalled for a moment. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm like 40, 40, 40 minutes from Pennsylvania's border. So like it was really interesting to think like I can't go right there. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like I'm you know dying to go there anyway, but <laughs> rural Pennsylvania is OK. But um, but I think that for a lot of Americans, that's another part of borders that we yeah. never look at. And like the totally. visual, finally, I do think that one of the things I keep thinking about your work is that your work is so intellectual. And for us who are not in the like in those roles, we end up hearing, seeing it in very skewed and biased ways. Mm. So the visuals that we see like of borders are things like the U.S.-Mexico border. Mm or illegal border passings. And they're always mm. a certain kind of illegal border passing. It's not like a guy, you know, cause like one of the used to be like in the, you know, in the, like the two thousands, let's say um, one of the biggest groups of illegal immigrants were like Irish people who jumped their 
before the Irish, you know, before yeah. like it must have been the 90s, before their economy boomed, Irish people who jumped their, um, you know, <laughs> their like tourist visa and stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't showing them that the picture of like the illegal awesome. migrant, the illegal refugee um, was not them. This is something that I've always kind of thought about Australia's kind of, you know, visa and refugee and immigration stuff like you know the people who are fucking up the policies of you know migrating to australia it's never the european who's overstayed Mm. their visa who's hiding on some fucking farm picking berries (laughs) it's always like someone from syria like Mm -hmm. it someone who arrived on a boat like it's boat people yeah that's like a yeah the poor, you know, like I feel like those poor, like the 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 vision of a boat person. I find it so interesting here in the U.S. Um, I think it's interesting because like we we love our pilgrims, right? Like <laughs> they showed up on a boat. We love, you know, mm-hmm. Christopher Columbus. He showed up on a boat. But then like the people from, um, and I think when I was a kid in the '80s, the, the Cubans who were being, you know, coming like on like bathtubs and stuff because they were they were largely white we were really into them too like we're gonna see those poor mm. cubans right but the boat people uh uh-uh. <laughs> no i think borders like also allow like people to believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to come mm. through yeah. a border yeah and that there's a right time mm. to come through a border mm-hmm. so you know if you um, a moral way yeah, to cross um, yeah, a border. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's all this stuff that's that's bound bound up. And, um, you know, I think mm. it's really interesting in Australia because we've obviously had, like, you know, waves and waves of, of, of migrants and quite, um, you know, big waves and quite defined waves that are driven by um, external happenings, you know, in, in, in the world. Um, and we have... You know, obviously the OG boat people, Captain Cook et al., um, who um, came and um, decided to Should colonize. that be the episode title? Captain he- Cook et al. No, OG boat people. <laughs> OG boat people. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. But, you know, we like everybody save for, you know, save for First Peoples and First Nations people came to Australia. On know, a fucking boat. On a boat. <laughs> Until planes existed, everybody mm-hmm. came. But, like, yeah. um, everybody has come by boat. And, mm-hmm. you know, the OG boat people, they 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 have now ownership and the, the means to say we, the time that we came was the correct time. Mm. Anybody who's you know come mm-hmm. since that time is is mm-hmm. is, a, is a migrant is yes. is somebody that it's we It's okay for are, us. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. We 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 were the we were the first boat people. We set it all up. We we defined those borders. So we get to decide when and how people come. And there's this really um interest you know there's this really um pivotal um but shit speech that one of our um prime ministers gave when um it was after the 2001 um september 11 attacks Mm -hmm. and when australia in response was really tightening borders and you know we stopped letting people from afghanistan and iran and places through and he gave a speech and said you know we will determine um who comes to our country and in in the in the way in which they will come i remember this um and it was this really pivotal um moment that really set the tone for australia's refugee policy like since then like before that we actually had quite a a more open approach to Mm. refugees particularly like after vietnam war like we Mm. had we allowed like fifty thousand um vietnamese migrants to resettle and even our conservative governments were quite you know more equitable with like kind of not yet not equitable but there was like it was just like yeah yeah australia was a participant in that war mm-hmm. and so we could see the direct correlation between people fleeing vietnam and us having been there but i think you know other times like when you know australia has been involved in the war in afghanistan or um you know anything like that it's it's so much it's so much further away and and i think um it's allowed us to kind of just build up that wall further mm, and further mm-hmm. 
And that's something that I've I've said to you before, Seema, right? Is that like Australia, like especially white Australia and the national identity of white Australia does not understand itself to be in the Asia Pacific. Like people mm. do not realize they are closer to China than America. Mm-hmm. and like they like and yeah. like you know i've spoken yeah. to you about this like growing up as yeah. well like that is just not something that is like a part of our understanding of where we yeah. are in the educational system that yeah. that's not what they tell us mm. it's about settlement yeah it's about yeah. whiteness coming and being in this space and being like and you learn french and german you don't yeah. learn indonesian <laughs> i think that's oh yeah now, or chinese but, yeah, yeah exactly i also think you know i'm thinking about like the stories of the og boat people <laughs> Uh, that it's also how you it's exactly right you're constructing this national identity based on them but even the visuals of them like you think of here ROG like you know you think of Plymouth and I think of these pictures of like them standing at Plymouth Rock or you know like they have chosen it's like this agency to choose how they're depicted whereas Mm -hmm. um I think for a lot of people who are living in the U.S. anyway, our conception of what a uh, illegal immigrant is, is an image that's been taken against that mu- immigrants, you know, like they weren't, they didn't choose to be in the news. Really? No. And this is where like my absolute bender of talking about photographic ethics starts like, you know, being lit up mm-hmm. because there are ways of representing people that are entirely based on your perception and like imaginative understanding of that person and that culture and what you're looking at. And so much of what we see is constructed through a white nationalist, Christian nationalist gaze in terms of people of color and, you know, other First Nations communities and the idea of refugees. Like it's like, yeah, as a concept, yeah, bad, immoral people because they couldn't fuck them for wanting to leave the countries that we blew up (laughs) and seeking some kind of asylum. It's insane. I mean, it's interesting how much more quickly we mobilize to have Ukrainian refugees. Now, I will say that uh, I'm happy to say I live in a city that has hosted refugees for quite a long time. So we had a lot of Syrian refugees as well. So I I wouldn't say that like it's all it's. I think that nationally, we definitely have, we don't mm-hmm. like a refugee unless you're white. I do think yeah. there are places in the world that that is untrue. Um, uh, but those are also places, I also think it's one of those things like here in Cleveland, Syri- there there are a lot of people who are ethnically Syrian. And so to picture mm. a Syrian refugee would be picturing somebody you know. Similarly, there's a lot of people who are ethnically Ukrainian. So we had a lot of Ukrainian refugees. Mm-hmm. And I think that this goes back to the power of the image. So if you say you're OG boat people, right, we know what our all of us know what the OG boat people, we learn about them in school. Yeah. And those are images like here, colonial portraits, right? Those are mm-hmm. chosen mm-hmm. images. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm just going to loop it back to our discussion on AI because yeah. um, Ooh. I yeah. you want to be you want to be a, a regular co-host. No, <laughs> look at that Ooh, um, segue back. back. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so I saw on TikTok of all places um, this person who inputted into AI and was like, "What if we had all these billionaires looking like refugees, looking like boat people, oh. looking like poor people?" And so it had like you know Trump, it had Elon Musk, like in you know. Uh, in, rags, yeah, in, like a pillowcase. In, in rags, looking yeah. like an Oxfam poster. Yeah, of and course. And it was like so jarring seeing like a white man in that situation. I was like, oh my god, what the hell? Isn't that interesting. But I was just go like, AI. AI. Oh. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, though. that is fascinating. And then you tweeted it, and then Elon Musk cut it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was like, no, you hurt his feelings. Yeah. No, I don't want. I mean, he is a migrant. See, this is the thing. He's a migrant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Gosh. he is an OG boat person to Africa, yeah. and then he South is. Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's a Gosh. migrant. I mean, I think this is where visuals are so manipulable, too. Right? That we mm-hmm. call it's like the word um, emigre. Mm-hmm. Isn't that just like white migrants? Yeah. So no, that's expat. You oh, can be expat. an expatriate as a white person, that's never right. an immigrant. Expat. And that was something that I like when I moved and I immigrated. I started like looking at the kind of language that, especially going to a school where there were people from you know lots of different parts of the world, 
it was not any person of color that was referring to themselves as an expat and i was just like oh oh i see it's a money and class thing right totally like expat um migrant refugee (laughs) yeah and so so that's when they're all just people who are crossing borders right exactly they're all just people yeah so we usually like to sort of wrap things up on our deep thought segment by something like summarizing it so laura i feel like if you were saying to somebody, um, you're going to look at the news, you're going to look at a visual about a border. Is there like something that they should remember or they that would help them be less biased? I don't know if there's something that would help them be less biased, but I think one of the most powerful images about borders that I encounter in Australia is the map of um, First Nations um, communities across Australia. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful, colourful map. Um, like hundreds of language yeah, groups. Yeah, there's like yeah. Two, 200 different groups across the country. Mm-hmm. And you're so used to seeing Australia with these other six fucking know, six, states. seven, however many states mm-hmm. and territories there are. Um, but that 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 image, which thankfully is getting, you know, a lot more, more traction, a lot more traction and, and, and particularly since the Black Lives Matter movement and the flow and effects of people understanding race relations more in America, people are understanding them more in Australia. And so the image is, is getting out further. But those are literally the first human borders that ever existed. Mm. Um, indigenous culture, it's the oldest surviving culture mm. in the world. That's that's literally the oldest version of what we have about how humans organize themselves between borders. Mm. And But what you also had that existed at that time with those borders was the free movement of people. There were mm. other ways right. aside from passports, they were permeable. aside from fences that, yeah, that were permeable. And mm. they were permeable because people knew that in order for one community to survive you needed to engage with all the other ones Mm. around you it Mm. wasn't it was that it wasn't that like you know our particular area of land we need to protect it we've got all the resources that that there's an inherent acknowledgement that yeah just because you that the area that you live in is not going to be able to sustain you entirely you're going to need to share all of those resources Mm. and for me i think everything that I am learning kind of comes back to first first nations communities and, and, and principles and in Australia and, and what they, yeah, the governance structures that they set up, like, like all of that existed for like minimum 60,000 years before mm-hmm. we even had Egyptians on the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like these are, this is literally the oldest way and the mm. most sustainable way that people organize themselves Hmm. and i think and organize themselves in relationship to land yeah absolutely and each other right land and each other yeah yeah Yeah. because because actually in in first nations kind of uh you know belief systems like systems systems and like understanding people and land are the same thing Mm. there's no there's no Uh, separation like we uh, are of landscape in the way that landscape is of us and this is actually mm. something that i wrote about if my thesis works mm. is that photography actually shows us the ways that we're permeable with the world around us mm. um mm. and it shows us how like th- the way we see kind of you know is permeable and kind of overlays itself over the world mm. um and there really is no separation mm. um mm. between like yeah. who we are and the space that we're in mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no border, thing. you might say. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like this End is scene. <laughs> but this is also something that goes down to like on a cellular level for us is that our cells and our cell walls are permeable mm-hmm. because that's like what we mm-hmm. need in order for That's our the first thing I thought healthy. actually about cell walls. Me too. Me too. When you were talking about when Laura was talking about the border, I was like, "Oh, that's me interesting. Too. It's just like that." Well, because that's actually, I had a therapist once who like really sat me down and took me through this idea of permeability and was like, you don't have to hold on to stuff. You actually are built Mm -hmm. to let things come Mm -hmm. and go out, like in and out of you. Your skin is permeable. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that one of the best ways to kind of understand a lot of the really, really complex stuff that we look at is to just kind of see how we function Mm -hmm. in time and space. And you can actually kind of see like what we need to be doing in order to foster the world that we live in. And it's, it's permeability. Mm. It's like a shared space and sense mm-hmm. of understanding. Like mm-hmm. it's, 
I think the shared sense of understanding to go back to images, I do mm. think images can be powerful to give you a shared space, sense of understanding. But the yeah. problem is that so many of the images we have about migrants and refugees um, and expats uh, uh, from are people like biased. Steve fucking Macari. Yeah, like they're biased. I, and so I think to me that the thing that's really hard is that they don't actually create shared understanding because the it's predicated on a misunderstanding sometimes. Well, that's why um, I think, and this is like a call to action for any photographer pals <laughs> out there, hand your camera over. Yeah. Like allow people to tell their own story. And if you think that mm. there's a story that's important to hear, figure out how you can get someone else funding rather than getting your own fucking Guggenheim fellowship. Mm -hmm. Like let's not Dorothy mm -hmm. Lang our way through like this next era of like talking to people about, you know, being in different class and socioeconomic communities with us. And instead of just breezing into those spaces, representing people in a way that we think is artistic and tells a story when it fundamentally fucks up someone's life. And maybe like, tells the wrong story. The um, wrong story. So speaking of stories, uh, to end with <laughs> media recommendations, I have one mm. that you will uh, love is not the word. Um, so it's <laughs> uh -oh. Mary Coin by Marissa Silver. And it's a fictionalization of it was a fic it's a fictional story imagining uh, the taking of the, the encounter. Dorothy, yeah, oh, the encounter no, of the migrant mother of the migrant mother. So I'm reading Good it Lord. because my, my daughter's reading it for school. So I'm reading it with her. I try ah. to read the books they read. Oh. And um, it's really fascinating to um, to read to it's fascinating because it takes place in like there's like multiple people. So the it's the 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 migrant uh, pea picker is one of the characters. But then there's also like the art historian who goes back and finds the historian actually who goes back and finds her and then Dorothea Lange mm. and then there's all these other people. And it's fascinating because it tells one thing it does do is humanize all of them. Mm -hmm. However, it and it does bring up this issue of how pernicious photography was at the time. So I, I love the word pernicious. Um, it's so good. Our mum once went on TV and called the prime minister at the time pernicious. <laughs> That's a great claim to fame. Yeah, she loves she loves being uh, yeah. semi recognizable on local TV. Rabble rouses. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, but it's no, it's true. I think that. Um, it was especially an era where that idea of kind of being an itinerant explorer and kind mm. of like having an ownership to land and living mm. in a borderless way and going and being like, oh, look at the poor people in the mm. dust bowl. Mm. Oh, isn't that, oh, I'm going to go back to my wealthy little corner and develop my photos because I'm a rich kid. Mm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Though, you know, my daughter and I were talking about, the one thing that is interesting is that though – it did um, space in the West at the time was closer to what we're talking about permeable, right? Like mm. you, you know, Oklahoma, a lot of those States weren't as border restricted as they are now. Like you don't have yeah. now, I think people, because we've moved to be with people like us politically, there are different kinds of intellectual borders than there were then. That's so true. That's so true. Mm -hmm. So what are your media recommendations for this week? Um, I actually have a recommendation through my sister that she's uh -huh. been giving me, The Artist's Way. Ooh. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure some of your listeners would be very interested. Um, mm -hmm. But there's this woman, Julia Cameron, who um, was an artist mm -hmm. and she... I wonder if her parents named her after Julia Margaret Cameron, actually. <laughs> sure. Um, but this this book, I think, was written in like the early 90s and, you know, she's a white middle middle class woman, but she worked for a living as a, as a writer mm -hmm. and she could only... Um, you know, successfully write for her job after she'd had a couple of wines and she got to, yeah, drinking, <laughs> and she got to a point where um, she was like, I, I, I need to decouple my alcohol from my writing and my creativity. And so she went on this journey of understanding creativity and how humans create and um, explored what all of, you know, the masters had, had said about creativity but also you know people who, who who weren't masters like people who were psychologists and politicians and 
um, she developed this 12 week course for, to support artists to work through their creative blocks and to basically become unstuck and to really, and she's got, and it's this presentation, it's this, you know, exploration of what, it, what creativity is and, um, and, and encouraging people to create from a place of play rather than, you know, trying to um, create work or something you know, academically develop an artistic process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just, just exploring and creating through play. Um, and yeah, it's this, it's this really great supported um, 12 week um, course. And, um, you know, it's kind of this like the secret um the secret book that gets passed around secret between source. between artists and um yeah it's and i'm you know doing this 12-week course at the moment um and it's yeah it's 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 a really good way to kind of come back to your inner child your inner your inner artist within and um yeah like kind of recenter yourself a little bit and um yeah and to that end I am photographing Laura as a fairy oh, this week. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> cool! Did Laura pick what she was going to do? Yeah, I we we had this coloring book um, when we were series kids. of coloring books when we were kids with all these fairies who were in different. Um, they had their own little worlds. Yeah, and um, we're going to dress me up as a woodland fairy in a little circle of mushrooms. You want to grab a mushroom? Show Seema. Oh, yeah. Hold on. We've been making mushrooms. <laughs> We've been uh, back in the prop making zone. Or well, I have, I guess. You've been joining me. Uh, and out of tube and foil and paper clay. That's that's awesome. That's going to be such an awesome photograph. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can bring it back at a future episode. We and will. if we will. you subscribe to us, you will get to hear about it. Or if you yes. donate, maybe we will even talk to you about it in person. Because when come if you Patreon. donate one one dollar a month, you become our buddy and we come become your friend. Exactly. So be sure to follow us at Artlast Podcast. If you have topics, which I really need to get up and running this month, if you have topic suggestions, feedback, sponsorship offers, or just want to say hi, you can email us at artlastpodcast at gmail.com. We've got a couple of emails we're going to be covering in the next episode. You can follow Seema at artlust, A-R-T-L-U-S-T. And you can follow me, Sophie, at Darkroom Varmint, V-A-R-M-I-N-T. And you can follow Laura. Uh, nowhere, because I'm a bureaucrat and we're not allowed to post things online. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. You have it. Borders once again. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Have a good day.